we're beginning to warm up to the entire... Hi, Rabbi Schaefer here, and I'm very excited to tell you about the new Schmooze book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. Over the past 15 years or so, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples, and I can't tell you the amount of times I look and say, why are you doing this? Do you understand what the relationship needs? Do you understand what your spouse is thinking? I put together this book to detail some of the really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, and the book has been extremely well received. We sent out about a thousand pre-publication copies to Huston and college teachers, to marriage therapists, and the reviews have been really, really very heartening. If you'd like to get a copy, it's available on Amazon, it's available in your local bookstores. It's also available on theschmooze.com. If you purchase it on theschmooze.com, in addition to the hardcover book, you'll also get the audiobook as well as the ebook as a free bonus. If you'd like to do that, please go to theschmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll greatly benefit from it. Thank you. Our events of Pesach story, and there's a certain theme that I am always astonished by, and that is the obstinance of Paro, meaning he's being shown nace after nace after nace. As a matter of fact, there are 19 mitzvahs say that circle around one concept, to remember Yisrael Mitzrayim. And the Ramban explains the reason why this is so pivotal to our religion is because this was the one time in history where Hashem showed Himself as the creator, maintainer, and orchestrator of everything in creation. Hashem is not in the miracle business. Hashem is not in the show business. One time in history Hashem said, I will show my might, I will show that I am the master of creation, and that was Yisrael Mitzrayim. We have so many mitzvahs reminding us about it because it's so pivotal to our emuna. because again, it relates back to that one concept that Hashem showed Himself to be the master of everything. And here's the observation. The Mitzrim lived through the very same makas that we did. They lived through the same dam svadeya kinim, and they did not become balichuva. They did not fall on their face and say, Hashem lokim, and they did not adopt the ways of Hashem, quite the, obstinate, quite the opposite. They fought against Hashem throughout the entire process. Throughout the ten months or longer, they fought against Hashem. And Paro, in particular, was incredibly stubborn, and despite everything that he was shown, he resisted and resisted and resisted. And I'd like to focus this evening on that part, because the Derech Hashem explains to us a little bit deeper as to what was going on behind the scenes. So let's begin with the first Pasuk. And Paro sees that there's a population explosion. The Jewish people are expanding and expanding. <clears throat> Soon they will overpopulate the land. And Paro realizes there's a problem. So he says to his people, Kol ben Every boy born, throw him into Nile. And every girl keep alive. Now Rashi explains why it was that at that point he said, every boy born. You see, earlier Paro said, he told the, Jew, the Egyptians, that any Jewish boy born, throw them into the Nile. The plan was to kill the Jewish boys, thereby there would be no next generation. But that's not what he said here. Here he said, Kol ben, any child born, throw any child born into the Nile, including the Egyptians. That day, every child born in Mitzrayim, Jewish or Gentile, a Jewish or Egyptian was thrown into the Nile. Rashi explains why is it that everyone was to be killed, every baby was to be killed that day. 
Siokos, his astrologers said, Hayom Nola Mashiach. The astrologers came to Paro and said, Today the Messiah of the Jewish people has been born. But we don't know whether he's Jewish or Egyptian. We do see that he's going to be, his end is going to come because of the water. And we, our recommendation to you is kill every child. At which point Paro very wisely said, kill everyone, not just the Jews, not just the every single baby. He was goes even on the Mitzvim, Kol Ben explains Rashi, what he didn't know was that in fact Moshe was going to be hurt by the water, the main Mariva that was going to be the water in the end when he hits the stone instead of speaking to it, but they didn't see that. Okay, now let's understand what Rashi is telling us. The astrologers saw something with incredible precision. And they saw that the Messiah of the Jewish people was born, and in fact he was. The problem was, they couldn't tell if he was Egyptian or Jewish, because in fact, Moshe Rabbeinu was brought up for the first 20 years of his life in the house of Mitzrayim, in the house of Paro, he was the heir apparent, he was to be the next prince. And they also saw that this person was to meet his demise by water. Again, they misunderstood they thought it meant he was going to be drowned. They didn't realize it meant the main Mariva. But here's the question. How did they get it so right? Meaning, how did they understand with such clarity, number one, the Messiah of the Jewish people is born. We don't know if he's Jewish or Egyptian, because in fact, Moshe was brought up in a palace. We see his end is on water. Again, they made a mistake. They thought it was being drowned, but they didn't realize what it meant. How did they get it so accurate, so darn precise? Now let's focus on a little bit more as we follow the storyline. Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, I want you to go to Paro, and I want you to bring a sign. What's a sign? You're to take your staff, throw it on the ground, and the staff will turn into a snake. And Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron go to Paro's court. They miraculously show up in the court, and at which point Aaron takes the staff, throws it down, and in fact it turns into a snake. Now, that's a pretty impressive trick, because it didn't turn into what looked like a snake. It wasn't an optical illusion. It actually turned into a snake. A live, vibrant, existing animal, a reptile, that was slithering on the ground. Not only wasn't Paro moved, he called for his academy boys. Come here. He called all the young students. You do the same. And they each took their stick and threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake. Now clearly Aaron outclassed them because he picked up his staff. It became again a staff and he threw it down as a staff and ate all of the snakes. But the point is, as Rashi explains, they literally changed the nature of a staff into a snake. Not an optical illusion, not a mirage. They literally changed it into a snake. But it doesn't end there. And one of the simonim was the blood. The Mitzrim did the same. As a matter of fact, when Moshe Rabbeinu goes to the Nile, and Aaron sticks out the stick and they hit the Nile, the Mitzrim did the exact same thing. They turned water into blood. Here's the question. How did they do it? In other words, it's very nice if you're an optical illusionist, if you're a magician, but how do they do it? How do they know things so accurately? And more than anything, what allowed Paro to be so obstinate in his rebellion in staying against listening to the word of Hashem? So to understand this, let's focus on something that the Derech Hashem explains to us at length. Every physical entity has a spiritual counterpart to it. 
Before Hashem created the physical world, Hashem created the spiritual world, which is actually the counterpart and the part that keeps the physical world in existence. The Rambam explains to us that every one of the stars, the moon, the planets, everything in the sky has a spiritual counterpart to it, and that spiritual counterpart is responsible for it. When we say, in, on Shabbos davening, we say, Tovim Ma'oros Shabar Lekenu, Yitzaram B'Das B'Vino V'Haskel, Hashem created these Ma'oros, these lights with brilliance and understanding, Semechim B'Seisim V'Sosim V'Oam, they're joyous when they come out, and they're happy when they leave, there is a spiritual entity, a Malach Asar, that's responsible for the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars, everything in the physical world has a spiritual counterpart that is in charge of it, that keeps it, and maintains it in the order that it's supposed to be. Now, if you'd like to understand this, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, in one of the famous Midrashim, that when Hashem created two Maoros, one of them was jealous. The Pesach says that when Hashem created the sun and the moon, first the Pesach says, Shnei HaMaoros Agdolim, the two large luminaries. Then the Pesach says, the large luminary to light up the day, and the smaller luminary to light up the night. Rashi brings down the Medrash. What happened was, the moon was jealous. Really, Hashem created the sun and the moon to be the same size. The moon said, how could it be? How could two kings wear one crown? How could we both be Moshel and both rule? Hashem said, fine, make yourself smaller. And in fact, the moon had to make himself smaller and just reflect the light of the sun, not be his own independent source of light. And to appease him, Hashem gave him the stars to come out at night with him. Now, the problem is that Rashi is not explaining to us an allegory. It's not some sort of story. It means literally exactly that. And the moon had a claim. When Hashem created the moon, before Hashem created the physical moon, Hashem created a sar, created a malach, some spiritual entity with intelligence, with thinking. As I am a das nifrat, as I am a separate entity that thinks, have an independent will, as you are an independent will, Every particle in the physical world has a sar or a malach that's responsible for it. And the sar, the malach of the moon, felt two kings can't wear one crown, and the malach was jealous, so to speak, on some level, and therefore Hashem made him smaller and gave him the stars to appease him to come out at night. But again, it's literally the counterpart to the physical world. And when you understand this, you begin to understand that everything in the physical world has a spiritual counterpart to it. But it's not just simple. You see, Hashem created an entire chain of command from the upper world down into the lower world. Above in the upper world, there are many, many malachim, many sarim that are responsible. They influence a level of malachim under them. They influence a level of malachim under them. They influence a level of malachim under them. There's a special sar for the ruach, a special type of malach for the wind, special type of malach for the rain, special type of malach determining what the weather will be, and everything in creation has an order, but not just an order, has a spiritual entity that's responsible for it, and the upper world controls the lower world. Now, we are warned many times in the Torah not to engage in Kishuf. What is Kishuf? So if you look in the Sefer HaChinuch, Sefer HaChinuch explains that anything physical has its spiritual counterpart. If you're aware of how to manipulate the upper world, you can actually physically change the lower world. Meaning, 
if you understand the kochas halyonim, if you understand the upper worlds, Hashem gave an ability to man to control the upper world. Some things were allowed to do, some things were not allowed to do. You'll read about certain tanoim who would learn the Sefer Yetzirah and create a cow. They were doing things they were allowed to do. Kishav are doing things that you're not allowed to do. It's controlling the upper world, it's influencing the upper world, and what it does is it gives strength and energy to the upper world or manipulates the upper world, which automatically changes the lower world. Kishuf means, again, not optical illusion. It doesn't mean slate of hand. It means literally making a rabbit appear. Not like the rabbit was on a false bottom, but literally making a rabbit. How could that be? Because anything in existence has spiritual counterparts. If you know how to manipulate the upper world, you know how to manipulate the lower world. And I believe that's exactly Pshan Rashi. You see, modern man is extraordinarily advanced in technological knowledge, in scientific understandings. But the ancient man was very, very understanding, very learned in the upper worlds and the worlds of spirituality. That which modern man is clueless to, the ancient man were very, very learned in. And it's true that we are very advanced in science and technology, but much of what goes on in the real world we are clueless to. If you'd like to understand Paro, it's really quite simple. The Rosh Hashanah says, Zei this month of Nisan will be the month that will be the first of the month. Why is it a Chodesh Hazeh? explains the Rosh Hashanah, because Paro was waiting. You see, the Tle, the Lamb, is the sign of the Mitzrim. And he knew that Nisan was the month that his Zodiac, his God that he main God was mostly in power and he was waiting patiently because yes it's true that Moshe and Aaron were good magicians yes it's true that they were good at Kishof maybe even better than us but this is the month of Nisan coming up and this is the month when his God, his Tle was going to be the strongest and explains to Aruch HaShulchan that's why Hashem said specifically in Nisan shall you go free you see this was not a war of stubbornness this was a war of ideology. Paro was very ideologically founded, very ideologically based. The only problem was he believed in ideology other than God. You see, when Hashem created the world, Hashem created many, many layers of existence. And Hashem created an upper world that literally controls the lower world. And that upper world controls the next level, next level, next level. If you know how to manipulate the system, you can make great changes in the physical world. Hashem allowed man to do that. Hashem created the world that way. And Paro and his people were very sophisticated in that. When Moshe came with the staff, with the stick, with the dam, with the svadeah, Paro just assumed, okay, you guys are good magicians. You're a little bit learned in these areas. But what he failed to understand was that they were representing a Kodesh Baruch Hu, the creator of all, the one who keeps everything in existence. And what they were doing was engaging in Kishav, and if you study the Parsha, even remotely, you'll see over and over, Paro isn't moved. But why not? Because he knew very clearly that they were just better magicians than he, and they just had some trick up their sleeves. But the concept that Hashem is the Bore Olam, the one who created the world, maintains the world, keeps everything in existence, was something that he denied to the very end. And in fact, that's what was happening. Now, I'd like to share with you a very interesting observation. I want you to imagine that you go to a symphony orchestra and you see 81 pieces. You see the wind section, you hear the brass, 
and you hear the harmonies, you hear everything moving together, the movements are just incredible. And imagine someone next to you says, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Look at that. 81 people just take the stage. They just get there, play, and just poof, music comes out like that. You say, what do you mean they just took the stage? <laughs> somebody wrote the music. <clears throat> somebody hired them. Somebody practiced. Somebody brought them in for the rehearsals. They had to pra- No, 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 that's not what happened. They just got there. They just showed up and started playing. That's all. You'd look at the fellow like, what, what planet are you coming from? 81 musicians don't just take the stage at the right moment, each one playing the right part, each one coordinated. There has to be someone who wrote the music. There has to be someone who brought them there. There have to be rehearsals. There has to be a coordination. Because when you see that level of sophistication, you know and understand that there's someone leading this orchestra. The biggest fallacy that modern man makes is he looks at nature and says, Okay, very nice, a lucky roll of the cosmic dice, and a hundred billion galaxies, each containing a hundred billion stars, just came into existence. The atom, the molecule, the quark, and everything in nature, and everything from the brain to the eye to the tongue to the fingertips, to the incredible sensitivities that we human beings have, just occurred. That would be the equivalent of you and I saying, Someone is just, 81 people just took the stage and no one wrote the music, no one rehearsed, they just occurred. We'd laugh at that person. Why? Because it's absurd. When you look at the sophistication of the world, when you look at trees, when you look at birds, when you look at the sophisticated, when you look at the Amazon rainforest, when you look at 2.3 million square miles of habitation, each one with so many species, 10 million living species, each one with its food, each one with its needs, always in balance. What you understand is that there's someone who is orchestrating these events. And I think that's something that we're very comfortable with understanding. And if someone were to tell us that nature just happened, nature just is, we would find it a bit difficult to understand because we'd say symphony orchestras don't just occur Nature just doesn't occur. But I'd like to share with you a totally new level of this understanding. If you look at society, if you look at a nation, if you look at a government and think that it just runs on its own, I believe that it's quite foolish. Because the natural state of man should be chaos, should be anarchy, should be disharmony. I remember in high school they had us read The Lord of the Flies, And the Lord of the Flies, I believe, is a very accurate description of what the world should be like. You see, we human beings are incredibly selfish. We human beings are sometimes ambitious, sometimes nasty, sometimes we're kind, but we're incredibly unpredictable. And if you ever tried to get a local shul together to make a decision, let's say a local shul wants to hire a rov. Do you know how much politicking, do you know how much trouble... You know, my opinion, your opinion, this guy, that guy, no, we can't. To choose a rov, to choose one rabbi for a small shul creates so many fights and so much division and so much anarchy that it's hard to imagine. But we're not talking about a shul. We're not talking about a rabbi. How do you have systems of government? How do you have systems of complete... How do you have an economy? An economy that somehow continues... The Chavaz of Olves explains to us one of the great miracles 
of creation is the fact that there is an economy. Hashem put an absolutely insane love of gold into man's heart. Gold is largely useless. It's soft. You can't do much with it. You can't plow with it. You certainly can't cook your food with it. And there is no reason why gold should be something that human beings lust after. However, Hashem wanted there to be an economy. And for there to be an economy, there had to be a system of trade. It's very difficult for me to trade my ten sheep for your one pile of logs, or my table for your chairs. So if you have a center of economy, if you have a currency that everyone agrees is valuable, you now have a measurement system, you can now easily trade. Hashem put this, again, insane love of gold into man's heart, because now there was currency. Everyone agrees that gold is valuable. Everyone lusts for it. Therefore, it now is the system via which we can barter. So a table is worth so many coins, 20 sheep are worth so many coins, and now we can back and forth. But if you think about it, it makes no sense why anybody should value gold, why anybody should trade in it. Why should I give my good sheep for these 10 gold pieces? What are they worth? You can't do anything with it. But again, Hashem wanted it to be an economy, and therefore Hashem put in this, in again, illogical love of gold into man's heart. But you see, when we talk about an economy of a country, in the United States of America, there are 320-odd million people. When we're talking about Wall Street, when we're talking about, we're talking about trillions of dollars, and everything somehow manages to orchestrate, everything somehow manages to balance out, how is it that people don't just lose faith in the economy? Right? If you ask historians, why is it that the great crash of Wall Street in 29 happened? It's really quite simple, because people lost faith in the economy. People lost faith in the dollar. What does that mean, they lost faith? Well, they used to have faith, now they don't have faith. What does faith mean? And if you think about it, all of the supernatural facts, the fact that there's organizations, the fact that there's police, the fact that there's law and order, the fact that things somehow seem to work, what you're looking at is supernatural things. In the normal course of events, everything should be disharmony, everything should be discord, and even though it's true that it looks like nature, it's just like looking at the Amazon rainforest and saying, it just occurs. You know, there, there are eagles and there are foxes and there are linchpins and there are just things that just somehow work out. But if you understand that it's extremely difficult for things to just evolve, things don't just happen, and balances just aren't struck, and if you believe that nature is hard to understand, believe me, getting people to be organized, getting systems to flow, are a lot more supernatural. The Derech Hashem explains to us that economies, governments, law and order, everything that we take as a given are all supernatural facts. But there's a key distinction between Yisrael and the Amim. The Jewish nation and the Jewish nation alone are given Ashkach pratis. When Hashem created the 70 nations, Hashem created a Tsar for each na- nation, and that Tsar is responsible for the good of that nation. The fact that there's an economy in Germany, that there's an economy in France, the fact that there's law and order in Spain, the fact that there are crops growing as they should be in Holland, is all because each nation was given its own Tsar, and that Tsar is responsible for all that happens in that nation. That means to say, the fact that there's rain in its time, the crops grow, 
that people generally are law-abiding, the fact that normally things do go as they do, the systems continue, is all because each nation has its own Tsar, and that Tsar is responsible to make sure this guy is here, that guy is here, make sure this guy doesn't create trouble, make sure this guy does say what he's supposed to do, because everything requires coordination, everything requires systems, because everything requires something watching over it, making sure that it goes as it's supposed to go. The only different nation is the Jewish people. For the Jewish people, Hashem himself is the manhig, is the one who is intimately involved in our creation, intimately involved in the running of our lives, intimately involved in our day-to-day. Now, if a guy davens, if a guy turns to Hashem and earnestly prays, his prayers can be answered. But there is no comparison between the prayers of a Jew and the prayers of a guy. Because Hashem is intimately involved in our day-to-day, every day, all day, involved. And Hashem is right there, waiting for our prayers, and waiting for things to happen. But even more than that, as we earlier discussed in Derech Hashem, because everything in the physical world is dependent on the upper world, Hashem also gave man the keys to my sabratius. You see, one of the questions I think a thinking person has to ask himself is, why in the world do we need so many stars? 100 billion galaxies. Each galaxy containing 100 billion stars. If you take a quarter, a quarter at 25 meters away, 25 meters away, and you look at that small area, they did this recently with the Hubble telescope. They took a quarter-size area at 25 miles distance, which is a very small space, and they focused the Hubble telescope on that small area because it was considered a dead part of the sky. And all they did was open the lens of the Hubble telescope for long enough to absorb enough light to see what was really there. And what they saw were 10 billion galaxies in that small little area. 10 billion gal- each little dot of light was actually a galaxy. 10 billion galaxies in that small light, each galaxy containing untold amount of stars. But here's the question. Gee golly, who needs it? What in the world do we need such a large world? 13 billion light years of expanse. What in the world? Do we- man never sees it. I know everything in creation was created from man and man alone. Hashem created the entire world and at the very end brought man into existence because just like one prepares a banquet, first he prepares the table, <coughs> cooks the meal, sets the table out, and only when everything is set, then he invites in his guests. Chazal tell us Hashem made the entire world, the cosmos and all that it contains, and only then created man because man is the pivot, man is the reason of all in creation. So if we're never going to see these galaxies, if we're never even going to know about these constellations, why in the world create it? Now, what the Derech Hashem explains to us is that everything in the upper world controls the lower world, and Hashem gives each star a malach, and that malach is in charge of another entity, another aspect of this world. And if you'd like to know why there are so many galaxies and so many billions and trillions and beyond number amount of stars, is because everything that happens in creation, everything that happens under the sun, has been predetermined, predestined. If this, then this. If this guy does this, this will happen to him. If this guy does this, this will happen to him.
The Torah says, if you go in the ways of Hashem, you're going to have a beautiful life. There's going to be rain in its time. There's going to be the sun is going to shine. Your crops are going to grow. And if not, if you abhor my ways, it's going to be lousy, it's going to be horrible, your crops are going to deteriorate, <coughs> enemies are going to come upon you. But the Meshachach explains, make no mistake, that doesn't mean that Hashem says, I'm going to bring famine. It doesn't mean Hashem says, I'm going to bring punishments upon you. He explains the Meshachach, that's not at all what the Pesukim is saying. He says, imagine you go to a doctor, and the doctor says, listen, avoid these foods. Cholesterol is going to harm your, 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 your heart. Too much salt, and you're going to have difficulty with your blood flow. Too much sugar. He warns you which foods to eat and which foods to avoid. The doctor doesn't control things. The doctor says, this is the way nature is. If you eat these foods, you'll be healthful. If you eat these foods, you won't be. The doctor just explaining what the system is. He's prescribing based on the natural flow of the world. Explains Meshachach, when Hashem created the world, Hashem created a teva, a nature of the physical world, and a nature of the upper world. And everything in creation has been set. If you go in the ways of the Torah, it's going to be beautiful, because Hashem created that in the creation. And built into the Bria is a certain reality. If you go in the ways of Hashem, there's going to be sun in its time, rains in its time, everything is going to be right. If you violate the will of Hashem, what's going to happen is Hashem created a teva. Hashem created a nature of the upper world. Everything is going to work against you. The key distinction between the Jewish people and the goyim is how directly Hashem is involved. But either way, there's a very real system. Every single nation has a sar and a malach who's in charge of entire colonies, entire legions of malachim who are responsible because again, if there are 60 million people in Germany, if there are 80 million people in Europe, whatever the region may be, if there are 1.5 billion people in China, there's an awful lot of activities that are going to happen. And there have to be many, many malachim, many pekidim, many sarim, many forces in charge. And if you'd like to know why there's so many galaxies and so many stars, is because each one is only a representation of the Malach that is behind it. And that Malach is involved, and that Malach makes sure that this happens and this happens, and everything is coordinated, everything is orchestrated. And if you see the upper world, it's very, very busy. And it's very, very noisy up there, this and that, and moving it, because everything that happens under the sun is controlled by the upper world. The distinction between the Jewish people and the Goyim are, number one, Hashem is directly involved, and with them, it's only the Sar. But there's another distinction. Many times, Derek Hashem explained to us that the way man uses this world will determine whether the world succeeds or it fails. When Hashem created Adam Rishon, Hashem brought him to all the Ilani Gan Eden. Hashem brought man to all the trees and said, Look how beautiful the Ilani Gan Eden are. Look how beautiful this Gan is. Pay attention that you do not destroy my garden. The Derech Hashem explains, what does that mean? Does it mean Hashem said, don't take a hatchet and chop down the trees? Don't <coughs> cause a forest fire? Hashem gave the keys of Maitza Bereshis to Adam. Meaning, because everything in the physical world has a spiritual counterpart, 
If you use the physical world properly, you give light, you give energy to the upper world. If you misuse the physical world, you dim the upper world. And once the upper world becomes dim, it doesn't have the energy. It's invigorated, invigorated. It can't give strength anymore to the physical world. And the physical world becomes damaged. When Adam sinned, <clears throat> what he did was, he was makalka the entire world. He changed the nature of the physical world. Why? Because he changed the upper world, which changed the physical world. We, the Jewish nation, are given the keys to Mysobratius. What we do changes the upper world, which immediately <clears throat> changes the lower world. The Gentiles don't have anywhere near their power. You see, it's not only that we have a direct entree to Hashem that we daven and our tefillahs are answered because Hashem is directly involved in our world. It's much more than that. And because the entire upper world are dependent on Adam, and Adam means the Jewish people, and what we do greatly influences the upper world, which directly influences the lower world. If the Japanese, if the Chinese, if the French are moral, amoral, whatever. If they kill, if the Hutus kill the Tutus, it may be a problem, may not be great, but it doesn't greatly impact the spiritual dimension of the world. But if the Jewish people speak Lashon Hara, it sure does. And if the Jewish people don't do what they're supposed to, it weakens the upper world, which immediately impacts the lower world. If a guy understood that, if we understood the power, the impact that we had, we'd be astonished. You see, again, modern man is very, very sophisticated. We have Teslas, we have computers, we have handheld computers that we look at all day long, and we are very knowledgeable in technological ways, in terms of science, but ancient man was far more sophisticated in knowing the upper worlds. Would you like to know how the astrologers of Paro were so wise? Because they studied the relationship between the upper worlds and the lower worlds. And they saw on that day the Moshiach and Shal Yisrael, the Savior of the Jewish people, had been born. They saw accurately Moshe Rabbeinu was born that day. But the problem was there was some confusion. Because the first 20 years of his life he was to be in Paro's house as the crown prince of, of, of Mitzrayim. But that was written in the stars. It was written in the stars because that was the destiny. And they saw that. But it was confusing because he looks like he's Jewish, but he, Egyptian clothing, we, we don't know. But we do know this. His end, his end is going to be on the water. But what they misunderstood was what the water meant. They saw. Because there was an upper world force. There was a spiritual entity that controlled that destiny. It was written in the stars. They saw it and they misunderstood. It meant the main mariva. It meant the water is going to hit the rock instead of speaking to it. But do you understand what I'm saying? What the Derech Hashem explains to us is they were vastly sophisticated. They understood the relationship between the spiritual world and the physical world. They understood things we can't even envision or imagine. They were off on some points, but they had a vast, deep understanding. They were scientists of the upper world nature. And I think it's very important to recognize this and understand as sophisticated as modern man is, we're blind as a bat. As modern man could look at nature and say, well, just the lucky roll of the cosmic nice. Modern man could look at societies, could look at governments, could look at systems that are running and just say, well, this happened. Seven and a half billion people somehow exist, somehow economies, global economies, somehow it exists without recognizing the incredible amount of upper world involvement, without recognizing how much the Sarim and Malachim control things. Does man have Bechira? He sure does. Free will in very, very limited aspects, in very limited areas. But everything has been predetermined, 
everything, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. You have the choice to do this or not. If you do this, this is what the result is going to be. But the destiny is set. You can choose in a limited way. But if you understood the influence of the upper world on the physical world, you'd be astonished by the power. The ancient man saw that. The reason why Paro and his people were so obstinate was because they weren't moved. Because they assumed that these were better sorcerers. They know more about the spiritual world. But they failed to understand that Hashem is the Bala Kochas Kulam. Hashem is the energy source of all creation. Every Malach, every kid, that hundred billion galaxies, each containing hundred billion stars, Hashem is the one who created and maintains it. Every spiritual element of them, the Sarim, Malachim, and those legions and legions are all kept in existence by Hashem. Hashem gave them a Das Nifra, a separate mind and a separate will, but that only exists as long as Hashem keeps it. Hashem wrote it, Hashem does that, and Hashem is everything all the time, everywhere. That element, they missed that element they didn't understand. But I believe there's a tremendous amount for us to understand about the physical world, about the spiritual world, about the impact and power that our actions have, and both the fact that we could directly beseech Hashem, ask Hashem, how much we could affect the upper world, how much our actions, and whether we do the right thing or the wrong thing, changes not the physical world, but changes the spiritual world, changes the entire physical world. No Gentile on the face of the planet has that, but every Jew does. When we begin to understand this, we understand the power, the gravity given to man, we understand the opportunity called life, and we begin to understand things in a vastly different way. And with that, I'd like to finish and open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. It can be on this topic, it can be on any topic. Please feel free to raise your hand if you have questions, or you could type them in if you prefer. But I would prefer if you raise your hand. Again, it can be on this topic, it can be on any topic, but please feel free to ask. Excuse me, and while we're waiting for people to become brave and either type a question in or write it in, um, how about Rabbi? What are you talking about, Rabbi? Do, I don't get what you're talking. What do you mean, Rabbi? What are you, anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hello, anybody? No, anybody home? Okay, this is supposed to be a live. Um, um, do you understand what I'm saying? If we were clueless to the, in other words. If we understood the amount of malachim that are involved in our daily life, the amount of things that are controlled by the upper world, we'd be... Uh, if we understood the gravity of our actions, how much am I daven or don't daven, I say the nice words and the wrong words, how much it impacts the upper world, which impacts the physical world, we'd be astonished, we'd be dazed, we'd be living in a... All right, no one knows what I'm talking about. Okay, good. Um, okay, if you don't... A question, Yes. Hello, Dr. Adams, you have the floor. Yes. Hi. It's all very powerful sounding. So human nature is we like to believe that we're in control, but then when you're telling us all of this, that we really are in control, we don't want that responsibility. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. You see, we're in control in a way that we don't realize. What we think we control, we don't control. But what we really control, I don't want the responsibility for. You're right. I think I'm powerful. I can make money. I can change my influence. I can change people's lives. Nonsense. That stuff, we're powerless. But I can create tremendous changes in this world by my actions, by what I do, how I use my time, and what I do. That part, but that part requires understanding my relationship to the spiritual world, spiritual world to the physical world, 
understanding how Hashem runs the world, understanding the systems, and that part is very, um, it's frightening because the impact, the gravity of our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, is beyond anything we can imagine. Um, you know, I, I often say that the biggest Balgaiva in the world, finally the most arrogant buffoon you've ever met, he sells himself short. How do I know that? <clears throat> because Hashem says, I would have created the entire world, the entire cosmos for one person. Hashem created Adam Rishon alone, Adam and Chava alone. Why? <clears throat> because Hashem wanted all of us to know this lesson. That would have created an entire world for one person. One per- just one, yeah. Hashem created Adam Rishon alone. Why? Because each person obligated to say, Bishalin never olam, Shem created the entire world for me. Me, little me, what could I do? If we understood the gravity of our actions, we understood what we could accomplish. But to understand that you have to sort of transcend the physical world, we get caught in the physical trappings. And in physical trappings, I make money, I lose money, I do these little things. We don't have a clue. We begin understanding the gravity and the impact in the upper world. You have a very different understanding. Good. No good? Decent? Clear? Not clear? Shkoyach. Shkoyach. Okay, good. Okay, very good. Thank you. Okay, please feel free to ask questions if you like. Um, if you have not had a chance yet, I have to plug this book. I got another 90,000 copies to sell. We've sold about 10,000 copies so far. 90,000 to go. If you like a copy of the 10 Really Dumb Mistakes the Very Smart Couples Make, you please get You can get a hold of a copy. And I'm going to tell you a story now. I, I mentioned this in the beginning. I, maybe, I don't know if I should tell it, but I'm going to tell it. A woman sends me an email. Her husband has been... Um, actually, I'm not going to tell the story. I'm going to see... Finding clear. Good. Okay. Is there any error that is not forgiven? Let me deal with the questions. Good. I'd rather take questions. I'm not going to tell the story. Is there any error that is not forgiven? Okay. So, the Marsha says, Ein dover ome bifnea tshuva. There's nothing that stands in front of tshuva. <clears throat> Do you remember the shmuz with Elisha Menavuya, Acher? He he was a person, he killed Tamir HaChacham. He was a great Tana. And he went, he went to Paradise, and he came down at Bikoris. He started killing Tamir HaChacham with his hands. He started, he did every avera. He got the Romans to get the Jews to sin. He did every, whatever he did as a Tana, he did opposite it <clears throat> bad. And when he came down from Shemayim, he heard a baskon come out from Shemayim saying the words, Shuvu vanim shovim chutz me'acher. Shuvu, return my children, return my children except for Lushim Benavuya. And he said, from that moment, he said, well, I don't have a world to come. Ah, might as well enjoy this world. And he was Yotzel Tarbetzra, he went to the bad way. The Masha explains he made a mistake. He misunderstood what the baskon said. Basco said, Shuvu vanim shovim, return my children, return. Take one step forward, Hashem says, and I'll push from behind. You take one little step forward and I'll put the wind in your sails. You do a little tshuva, I'll do the rest of the work. That special siyat Rashmaya he lost. He was a Tana, on that level, to go as bad as he did, he lost that special siyat Rashmaya, but ain davar ome bifnei tshuva, the Marsha says, nothing prevents tshuva. There are some things that are more difficult to do tshuva for, some things that are greater obstacles, some things that Hashem will help you less, but generally speaking, unless you're on the level of unless you're really a wicked, the Marshal, by the way, says he might have been the most wicked person who ever lived. Unless you're on that level, Hashem will always help. But regardless, even he, the most wicked man who ever lived, 
hearing a baskel misunderstood because nothing prevents tshuva. question is how much help Hashem will give you. Normally, regular Jews, we get tremendous amounts of siyat rishmaya. So the answer is basically no. I don't believe there's any avera that we can do that you can't do tshuva for. And when Chazal say there's certain averas that you can't do tshuva, what they mean is it's more difficult, it's harder. Some averas you don't fully clean up until you leave this earth. But there's no such concept as an avera for which there's no... Uh, no tshuva that can't be uh, can't be forgiven. Okay, if you have a question, please feel free to raise your hand, or if you like, you can. Um, oh wait, did somebody have a question? One second. Uh, did it, was that one second? This person, I'm sorry. I believe if you had your hand raised, I apologize. Um, I'm gonna. Well, I don't know if you did. Okay. But anyway, if you have a question, please feel free to raise your hand, or we'll take questions in typing. Uh, um, hmm. <laughs> okay, um, someone says she can't focus, but the questions together, okay, you can do it for next week, okay, good. Okay, good, alright, very good. So, in any case, there's one more thing I want to mention, there is a new schmooze coaching program for new couples. I have a, we put together, I put together a curriculum um, and I've trained in four coaches. Basically, this is for either chassan and kalas or for new couples. <clears throat> what we do is the coach works with a couple. It's a six-week program. They, the couple signs up, and the coach works with them. It goes through the basics of what a marriage needs, the you know basically the mechanics of gender differences, what the relationship needs, etc. So these are four coaches that are, that are trained. We wrote the curriculum. I trained them. And we're now launching the uh, the schmooze. Um, it's the really dumb ten really dumb mistakes schmooze coaching course. I have to come up with a better name than that, but for right now, that's the name. If you're interested, if you know of a young couple who you think would benefit from it, please reach out to me at rebbe at theschmooze dot com. R e b b e at theschmooze dot com. I don't directly work with the couples, but again, I have four coaches that I trained uh, who will work directly with the the. Um, with the couples, again, it's a six-week course via Zoom. <clears throat> there's some homework, there's some workbooks, and each week there's an hour-long session with the coach where they they go over the exercises, they go over material. Um, and I think it's a great way to either start a couple off or the first two years. Again, it's for either Chassan Akala or for the uh, first two years of marriage. If you know anyone who's um, <clears throat> interested, please, uh, <clears throat> please uh, take advantage of it. And, uh, right, and... Uh, and also, one last thing, if you're not getting the uh, WhatsApp group yet, if you're not, <clears throat> three, four times a week we send out these inspirational short videos. If you'd like to subscribe, please go to theschmooze.com and you'll see a, a sign-up for the WhatsApp group. You'll also see a place to purchase the uh, 10 Really Dumb Mistakes. Okay, I thank you very, very much for joining. I hope to see you next week. Have a good Shabbos. Thank you.